0: Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude.
1: Our scripture today is going to come to us from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees, I made myself pools from which, to, from which to water the forest of growing trees, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house, I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone who had been before me in Jerusalem, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done. And the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this is also vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not work for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Amen. Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might enable us to understand the words that we have just heard from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We pray that we might see these tests through which the preacher goes. We pray that we might see that we can find no ultimate satisfaction or, f- in fulfill- or fulfillment in either pleasure or wisdom or work, and we, find, we pray that we might find our gain in Jesus Christ and in him alone. We pray that if anything that I say comes from, doesn't come from you, that you'd make it fall to the ground and pass away and be forgotten. And We pray that everything that is from you, that it would strengthen us and make us to trust in the finished and redeeming work of Jesus Christ, in the one who defeats death. All of this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when we last got together, we saw that the preacher, who's either Solomon or or he is someone who's ghostwriting for Solomon, that the preacher decided to earnestly and with all his heart use all of his wisdom to see if there is any gain, any, any lasting benefit to be found under the sun. He used every part of his great wisdom and looked at everything which took place under the sun in this fallen world to see if he could find some benefit. And we learned that even with all of his wisdom, considering Everything about everything, he was not able by the strength of his own intelligence or wisdom to find any lasting meaning under the sun. Today, as we take a look at chapter 2, the preacher, Solomon, or this ghost writer for Solomon, Solomon determines that he is going to, to put three things to the test to see if there can be any gain found in any of those places. And what we need to remember is that this preacher is always looking for gain, always looking for this lasting meaning this lasting enjoyment this lasting worthwhileness to life and he decides that he's going to put it to three tests you can see in verse one he says come now i will test you with pleasure that's the first test that he goes through in this uh in this section of scripture the test of pleasure and after that he determines that he is going to put wisdom to the test the second is the test of wisdom and the third thing that he puts to the test is work And so what we have before us is the test of pleasure, the test of wisdom, the test of work. These three tests make up Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's what we're going to take a look at now. So first, the test of pleasure. I will test you with pleasure, the preacher says to himself. And therefore, we have the test of pleasure. This test of pleasure is the most perfectly American of all of the tests. Have you ever considered how striking it is that we live in a constitution that says that one of our natural and fundamental rights is the right to seek after pleasure, the right to pursue happiness, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In the country in which we live, we say that this desire to seek after happiness or pleasure, that it's a fundamental right that we've all been given, and so that means that we as a country and as people that live in the United States, it's often will put pleasure to the test ourselves. And so this is one of those sections of scripture where it is just speaking so directly to us. And here's the reason. Oftentimes we will be tempted to believe that if we have just a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, that we will find what the preacher calls gain. If I just had a little bit more, I would find gain. I'd find lasting meaning, lasting purpose. And so this first test, this test of pleasure, is extraordinarily relevant for us. And the preacher is exhaustive in the way that he takes a look at pleasure. Solomon is exhaustive in the way that he works through these various pleasures that can exist under the sun. Do you see all of the ways that he tries to test and see if pleasure is going to be enough, is going to be a place for gain? Well, the first thing that he tries is laughter, is comedy. He says in verse 2, I said of laughter, and then talks about how it's mad and of pleasure, what use is it? But the first thing he tries, therefore, is comedy. If I just laughed a little bit more, maybe then I could find some gain. The second one's an extraordinarily common one. The second pleasure that the preacher looks to is alcohol. Verse 3, I searched with my heart, How to cheer my body with wine. He says, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life.
0: Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's grounded in growingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude.
1: You see, the second thing he tries, an extraordinarily common thing to try to find gain alcohol and foolishness. The two go together, right? Is there any gain to be found there? After moving past there, he he tries architecture and design. Verse 4 says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. And so what Solomon is saying here is maybe if I build the most beautiful of homes and decorate it perfectly, I will find gain there. A perfectly manicured garden and lawn outside, inside, so well built and designed that it would be on the cover of Architectural Digest, the sort of place that would make anyone jealous or vain. Is that game? And then he moves on, he tries nature. Maybe if I spend a little bit more time in nature, I will find gain. Verse 5 and 6, I planted gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of, in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. And so the next pleasure that he seeks to find gain in is the pleasure of nature. If I just spend a little bit more time in national parks, a little bit more time camping, a little bit more time growing trees, maybe there I will find gain, says the king. After that, he tries business. Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. He builds a booming business, one that is more substantial than any that had come before him. If I I formulate and create a great and a large company, will that be enough? The preacher is saying. He tries wealth. Verse 8a, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Here's another one that people believe, if only a little bit more, there's gain to be found there. Very famously, people record that that John D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money is enough? And he said, always a little bit more. Only a little bit more, he said. Solomon tried the same thing. Is there gain in great wealth, silver and gold, and the treasures of kings and provinces? The preacher tries to find gain in culture. He says in, in the middle part of, of verse 8 that he hired singers. I got singers, both men and women. They would have been extraordinarily rare at this time. Paying people to be able to sing for you, to create culture, to create the sort of environment that, uh, that was that pleasing with, with men and women singing all around you. This is the height, the absolute height of culture. Maybe gain is to be found in the height of culture. And last of all, and maybe most commonly, he tries, he tries sex. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. He tries sex. First Kings 11 verse 3 tells us that Solomon had 700 wives, that he had 300 concubines, 1,000 secu- sexual partners. He tried to exhaust every single possible place one could find, gain, seeking in pleasure in this life under the sun. And what was the result for him? What was the result? He says, whatever my eyes, in verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure. And then in verse 11, he says, then I considered all that my hands had done. And the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Here's what he realizes. Having experienced every possible pleasure that the world could offer under the sun, having tried them all and exhausting them all, to a greater extent than anyone before had, to a greater extent than perhaps anyone since has, he says, there is simply no gain there not in laughter, not in alcohol, not in architecture or design, not in nature, not in business, not in wealth, not in culture, not in sex, no gain for the preacher to find. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now don't you don't you secretly sometimes believe that what Solomon acquired really is the secret to happiness. Aren't you sometimes tempted to believe that if you could just have a little bit more of this or that or the other thing, that you'd have enough, that life would be enough, that life would be all enjoyment? If you just had a little bit more of the pleasures that the world could offer, don't you sometimes secretly believe that if you could just laugh a little bit more, or if you could just party a little bit more, or if your home was just a little bit more well-decorated, or if you could just spend a little bit more time in nature or if you built a successful business, or or just got a little bit of a bump in your paycheck, or you were highly regarded culturally, or if you had a little bit more in the bedroom, that that would satisfy you. That must be where gain is, right? Because that's what everything tells me in this culture. Every time I watch a television program, I'm told if I just acquire this one more thing, it will be enough. Well, what the preacher tells us here is having gone through every possible pleasure that life has to offer, there is no gain there. It's not enough. No gain. Behold, all of that pleasure-seeking. It's a striving after the wind. Pursue any or all of these things, and you will never possess satisfaction in them. You will never find any gain in them. And having gone through this, this test of pleasure, the preacher then decides that he's going to test wisdom. He circles back to what he had tried in verse 12. He says, I turned in verse 12 of chapter 2, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. He turns to consider what he had done in chapter 1, verse 12. uh, And I applied my heart, verse 13, to seek and to search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. This is the test of the scholar, of the academic. He's testing wisdom again to try to see if it might bring about some lasting gain for him. And at first it looks like he might have found some, right? Here's what it says. Then I saw in verse 13, verse 13 of chapter 2, then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. Has he found it? Wisdom is better than folly. It's better to have the light of learning and insight than it is to live in darkness and foolishness and ignorance. There is some gain that he says there. But not ultimately. Not ultimately. Actually, not yet is there gain. Because why? Because he says, because the same event happens to both the wise and to the foolish. He says, whatever's going to happen to the foolish, it's going to happen to me too. And that is death. It's the great leveler. The great equalizer. The preacher recognizes that death ultimately equalizes everything. And he said, the wise die, the foolish die, and you can't tell them apart once they're dead. And the memory of both passes away. Nobody remembers who's gone before. Death comes to everybody, and therefore there's not even gain in wisdom. Death, therefore, is the great foolishness. This is important for us to recognize because there is a common notion that can be spread around by various people or or sometimes maybe used to try to comfort people, but it's just a lie. And the lie is that death is natural. Let me tell you right now, death is normal. It's the normal state of things, but death is not natural. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. I think the, maybe the clearest example of this is Yoda talking to Anakin in episode 3 of, uh, of the prequels. This is what Yoda said. He says, Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who do not transform. Who, or, rejoice for those around you who transform into the force. Mourn them, do not. Miss them, Do not attachment leads to jealousy. I'm not going to use the Yoda voice, but you get the idea, right? I think that's the most foolish thing that Yoda said in any of the Star Wars movies. Aside from do or do not, there is no try. You have to try in order to do anything, right? But here, Yoda can probably be excused because, because it's a movie, right? It's pretend, it's make-believe, and there is a make-believe religion as a part of this make-believe movie, and so he's adhering to the tenets of that, but it's, it, there's less excuse for those of us who exist within this life to say the same sort of thing. Really, death is natural? Really, death is natural? You know, just this week, just this week there was a tragedy that took place in Florida. And whenever a tragedy like the senselessness of the gun violence that we witness in Florida takes place, we recognize instinctively that this is not natural. And if we allow ourselves to step back from that, we recognize that it happens every time that somebody is taken from us. They were there, and all of a sudden, they're not there. And it's simply unnatural. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. It would be ridiculous in the context of what happened this week to suggest that death is a good. And yet some still do. Some even go as far as to say that choosing your own death is a good. This is ridiculous. Death is wrong, and you know it, and I know it. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. Death is the great foolishness. Death is the great vanity. Because even if you live a wise life, your life has ended just like the life of the fool. The great foolishness. And it's the great problem for the preacher as he considers wisdom and folly, and it's the great problem for the preacher as he considers his work. He says in the next section of Scripture, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. The final test is the test of work. The test of work. This This is maybe the test of the religious person. So often, the religious believe, if I just work a little bit more, if I can make it so that no one outworks me, that will be enough. This is what we often turn to to try me, for, to find some meaning. If I just press a little harder, if I just work a little bit more, then I will find meaning. You know, this was the case in my Lutheran high school. We had, we had cheers that we would do during basketball games and football games and things like that that would be lead, led by the, you know, the cheerleaders or whatever. And one of them is, I think, the worst... Possible cheer that one could, one could do. Let me do it for you. This was the cheer. You got to work hard. You got to work, 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 work hard. Say what? That's it. That is a terrible cheer, right? All the other teams would come in and their cheers would involve them winning. And our cheer would involve us just putting forward a lot of effort, I guess. We had no promises of winning. But, but that's exactly what the preacher starts to look at here, right? I'm going to find some gain if I just work hard. If I just work, 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 work hard. Maybe there, there is some gain. And yet Solomon finds that here there's no gain either. Whatever gain there might have been in work, Whatever gain there might have been in acquiring things for yourself, in displaying your wisdom in the way that you used your hands and your mind and yourself as you worked throughout your body, it is all brought to an end by, again, the great foolishness, the great leveler, death. And Solomon mentions that here. I work my whole life, and yet I'm going to leave everything that I have made to somebody else, and who knows if he is going to be wise or if he's going to be an absolute fool. And yet, for all of my work, I've got to leave what I acquired to somebody else. This was painful. This was a painful reality, particularly for Solomon. And here's the reason: because he worked his whole life to build a kingdom unlike any had ever seen in Israel before this time. The borders of Israel were never as broad as they were as as the time of Solomon. It was said that that gold and silver that they were they were so popular, so commonplace that you could find they were like stones in the uh, in the time of Solomon. Right? He built this great empire. And and then he dies. And what happens? Everything that he had built through his time as king goes to his son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam immediately loses 83% of it. The northern kingdom leaves 10 tribes out of 12. Only, Only Judah and Benjamin remain. Foolishness, vanity, and a great evil. And so Solomon says, as he considers work then, he hates he hates his work. He said in verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. And then in verse 20 he says, So I turned and gave my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. And here's the realization. There is no gain to be found in pleasure. There is no lasting gain to be found in wisdom. And there is no lasting gain to be found in one's work. And the reason is that all that one might have gained through wisdom or through work, it is all brought to an end by the great foolishness, by death, by the great leveler. So where can we find gain then? Is there any place to find gain? Where can somebody find gain since everything everything at the end is leveled by the great foolishness, which is death? Well, the answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? If you want to find gain, if you want to find something lasting, if you want to find something enduring, you can't do it as long as death is in charge. If you want to find some gain, you need someone to defeat death itself. If you want to find gain, you need someone to defeat death itself. Now, didn't it seem as though death was the ultimate foolishness which brought to an end Christ's ministry? It seemed like that to some of his disciples, In Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, there's a record of Jesus walking along the road to Emmaus with two of his disciples. And he talks to them, and and they start to tell him about the things which had happened in Jerusalem that day. And they talk about Jesus and how he had lost his life. And in verse 21 of Luke, chapter 24, they say, and we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel.
0: My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word